Good morning, citizens. Welcome to our first message in our series on the book of Psalms. Um, I'm not sure if that gets you excited or not. Some people are really into the Psalms. Other people, it's just a book that they kind of peruse every once in a while. But Martin Luther actually said that the the Psalms are like a little Bible, or they're a, a summary of the Old Testament. They are the place where believers, Christians, have gone to over the centuries and over the millennia, and they are the book that have given believers hope in the midst of all kinds of circumstances. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't often think of art and the Bible coming together. Okay, art is, you know, this creative exercise of making something, you know, like a sculpture or a painting or, you know, there's all kinds of um, things that are made from the creative minds of people. And it draws out this um, appreciation and a love for the beauty of it. But also, if you look at the definition of art, it also brings an emotional power to it. There's some sort of reason. Sometimes you can't even articulate why a piece of music or a work of art will just move you and it'll cause you to do something. The Psalms are this very same thing happening. They are art and theology and life all coming together, being captured through poem, through song, through prayer, through all of these things. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, the Psalms are poems and poems intended to be sung, not doctrinal treatises or even sermons. Okay, so what I'm gonna try to do today, C.S. Lewis would say, is not even the purpose of the Psalms. They are not these um, explanations, they are just poetry and they are experience. Now, for most of us who come from the Protestant tradition, the Reformation, we, we find beauty in the gospel. And I agree, the gospel is a beautiful thing. This amazing story of, you know, God redeeming, God um, making a way for sinful people like us to be in right relationship with him. This, this is the good news of the gospel, and it's a beautiful thing. But we've tended to um, think about justification and, you know, redemption, all these words that we have to explain, and we, we study and we understand them, and that tends to be where our Christian history uh, comes from. And maybe even culturally, you've come from a people or a family um, that are more kind of analytical or they're maybe uh, less feeling driven. I know if I think of my own um, experience, me as a person, my natural default is not to want to go towards like feelings oriented things. Okay, that's, that's just not the way I'm wired. That is not the way I'm leaning. It might be, um, you know, family of origin stuff. It might be my own cultural background. It, it could be all kinds of things. But it's not my default way to go towards, like, a feelings kind of a orientation. Okay, so for, for me even, the Psalms have been a book that I have not, like, really been drawn into in my life. I'm more like, let's think about the 
what I would think like the deeper things in scripture. Let's go through Romans. Let's go through Galatians, right? Let's, let's go through all these um, heavy books that talk about theology and explain theology. Um, Psalms, I don't know, feelings. Maybe I would even categorize them as like, they're just like, when I don't have something to read, I'm going to go to the Psalms. But I'm growing in my appreciation for this, this amazing experience of knowing and feeling God through the scriptures and through the Psalms specifically. A few years ago, we went on a trip to Ottawa, and I, I can't remember if I told the story here or somewhere else, but one of the things we really wanted to see in Ottawa was the mint, you know, this place where they make the money, the coins, they make all kinds of coins there, and so it was a fantastic tour. And on the way to the mint, we were walking there, we passed this beautiful uh, Catholic church. And so I was like, man, we gotta go in and check that church out and see it. Everybody was like, eh, I don't know, I don't know if I wanna do that. But we went to the Mint, and then on our way home, we were like, okay, let's just cross the street, and let's just peek our heads in. It'll be a quick little visit. We'll see if we can even get in. We kind of saw like a tour group going in there, so we were like, okay, we can actually go in. We stepped inside the door, and when we walked in, I think it was all of us. I don't, I don't think I'm exaggerating there. It was our whole family. We were like, wow, this is beautiful. This just amazing, massive church hall, these beautiful pillars and, and stained glass windows. And the, the front was just um, all kinds of sculptures and imagery. And, and ultimately, it just drew your eyes up to the ceiling, which was this magnificent painting of the, of the universe, just stars and, and all kinds of images up there. It was just absolutely gorgeous. And it just happened to be at the same time that the, the organist was practicing their music for the upcoming Sunday services, I presume. So the organ was playing, this huge pipe organ, and all these people are just silently walking through this gorgeous building. This is what we're supposed to experience when we actually go to the Psalms. Uh, a feeling that comes with knowing and understanding God. Or maybe another uh, simpler image of this was just the other day, Liz and I were sitting on our back deck, and as we were sitting there, I don't know, having coffee or just relaxing, a woman walked by, she was walking her dog, and she had her headphones on, and she was like singing really loud for the whole neighborhood to hear, like a prayer by Madonna. Right? She was just like caught up in the moment, walking and just had to belt it out and sing out that song. And I thought, there it is. That's the Psalms for you. They capture you at an emotional, at a feeling level. And you're actually, then your response is to cry out in some way. Maybe you cry out in just like internal ascent to God. Or maybe it's through a prayer. Or maybe it's literally through singing a song. The, the, the theology and the explanation that we, that, that some of us Protestant or some of us analytical thinkers does not come in the Psalms. They're just, they're just there. They're just put out there. They are not an explanation of the theology of things. They are the reality of experience and interaction with God in the real day-to-day -day stuff of life. So an example of this would be Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's experience when Nathan comes to him and confronts him about his, um, his adultery with Bathsheba. 
And so Psalm 51 is not an explanation of all that's happening. If you want to read the explanation, kind of the narrative of what's going on, you can look in 2 Samuel 11. But Psalm 51 goes like this in verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to your greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. David in Psalm 51 pours out his heart. And that's what we see. We don't get the explanation. We don't get any of those things. We see what is happening at the heart. So a couple of background things just to understand the Psalms as a whole, okay? As we just get into this series, just to help you get your bearings, you know, if you go on a hike or something and if you use a compass, it helps you set the path, right? Where am I supposed to go? How do I make sense of this track that I'm on? And so there's just a few things that will, we'll, like, repeat these and probably unpack them over the next a number of weeks. But the Psalms is separated into five distinct books. Okay, there's five books. Book one, which we are just stepping into, is chapters 1 through 41. And the reason we know that these are like little, little books within a bigger book is because they end with a little mini doxology or a little prayer at the end or a blessing. So at the end of chapter 41, if you would look, you'd see the last verse, verse 13 of that chapter, says this, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. That's the end of book one. And then there's book two, three, four, and five. Also, another thing to keep in mind is that genre is really important in the Psalms. Okay, the, the author, the writer of whatever specific chapter that we're looking at, has a purpose and a reason for what they're writing, and it's written in a specific way. So there are genre like the wisdom literature. Chapter one that we're going to look at is a wisdom psalm. There's also just general hymns or general prayers. There are royal psalms, so psalms about like the kingship or of the Messiah's kingship. And there's also individual and communal laments. Okay, so just like you would read the manual of a TV, whoever reads manuals, okay, but if you would read a manual or maybe you'd read a letter or maybe you'd read an email or a text, all those are different genres. They, the, the way that they're written and the sense with which they are written actually makes a difference in the message itself. And so we really need to understand that. One of the biggest genres that we'll be uh, studying in the, these first 15 weeks is the genre of lament, okay? Lament, this, this disposition where you are disoriented with life, where you're not understanding what God is doing, where you are confused by the circumstances around you. There are over 60 psalms that are lament psalms, that just like David or other authors are just like confused at what is happening and so they lament to God. And in this, we're starting the first 15 weeks of the Psalms, 11 of those Psalms are lament. Okay, so if you are kind of coming out of a season of disorientation, probably all of us with COVID, right, to some degree, or you have really experienced in your life a season of lament or disorientation, there's going to be a lot of uh, words for you in the next few weeks. Lament, we're going to be looking at that. But the beauty of the Psalms, just again to give us a big overall picture, the beauty of the Psalms is that they cover every season of life. They are written to 
you know, they're written from, sorry, they're written from people who have, are experiencing all kinds of hardships and joys and, you know, everything in life that you experience, they're experiencing. Look at just a few of these examples here on different feelings or experiences that are coming to us from the Psalms. So in Psalm 25, 16, it talks about loneliness. It says, I am lonely and afflicted. Psalm 18, verse 1, talks about love. It says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Psalm 33, 8, talks about the awe of God. It says, let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Psalm 31, 10, talks about sorrow. My life is spent with sorrow. Psalm 38, 18, regret. I am sorry for my sin. Psalm 51, 17, contrition. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 42, 5 talks about discouragement and turmoil. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Psalm 21, 1 talks about exaltation. It says, in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. Psalm 118.23 talks about marveling. It says this, This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And Psalm 1 verse 2 talks about delight. It says, His delight is in the law of the Lord. Whatever you're feeling at any given moment, whether it's this morning or like on this coming Wednesday or last Tuesday, like whatever you were feeling, there's a psalm for you. There's a psalm to capture that experience. And there's a person who's experienced that very same thing in their life, and they've expressed it to God through these hymns, this songbook. It's like this Tremper Longman in his uh, commentary on Psalms says this, One looks into the physical mirror to see how one is doing on the outside. And when one reads a psalm like a mirror, identifying with the psalmist, then one discovers how one is on the inside. So Longman here is saying, man, when you look into a mirror, you see, okay, is my face looking all right? Did I shave everything? Or is my lipstick on right? Whatever you're putting on, you see it's showing you what's happening. But he's saying the Psalms are like a mirror for your soul. When you read a Psalm, you discover that psalmist is going through what I have gone through, or they are capturing in this psalm the very things that my soul is feeling. It ends up being a mirror for our souls. Maybe you've had this, an experience in life where you've gone through something and you've read a psalm before and you thought, thank you, Jesus. That is exactly what I'm feeling. I needed to hear that. I can remember even as a kid, not knowing like a lot of scripture, but you know, struggling with like being afraid and, you know, I just lost my dad as a, as a young kid and just the instability that that brings into any family. And in my head, Psalm 23 just kind of bubbling up every once in a while, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I couldn't quote the whole psalm, but I had heard it so many times. I had heard it repeated over and over again. I think we even used to say it at school every once in a while back, back in the day, and it just came to mind in my moment and in the, in the depths of my soul. Another author puts it this way, 
the energy and warmth of devotion exhibited in the Psalms is suited to stir up and inflame our hearts to a greater affection and zeal than they could otherwise readily attain to, and thus to raise us to the spiritual heights beyond those natural to us. And the Psalms are meant to like, in a moment when you're reading or you're sitting there, you go from just regular you know, a regular day to suddenly wanting to just praise God. It's like in a moment, you're reading the scripture and you read this psalm and you, you, you lift, maybe even literally, you lift your head up or you lift your voice up and you just say, thank you, God. That's what the psalms are for. Deep down, feeling connection with God in the everyday regular things of life. In our states of discouragement and confusion or wonder, we are drawn to God himself. So this morning, just for the last little half of our message here, let's look at Psalm 1, this first psalm that really is an introduction to not only book 1, you know, your Bible might, for a heading, it might say book 1, the way of the righteous and the wicked, but it's also meant to be an intro to all 150 chapters, the whole book itself. So it's chapter one and even chapter two are these chapters that help us um, make sense of all that we're going to read, you know, in chapters three to 150. How do we place them into a, a context or how do we make sense of them? That's what Psalm 1 is for. And it starts by contrasting the blessed and the wicked. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. And then you, you'll see that throughout in, in verse 4. Also, it talks about the wicked. Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. So verses 1 through into verse 4 are all of this idea of the blessed man, and, and man is just representative of, of humanity, of a person, of people on the planet. And then the last part of the chapter are the way of the wicked. So you've got this contrasting image of the wicked and the blessed. Now we live in a world today where a lot of people would probably have a problem with that right off the hop, right? How can there just be like these two categories of people on the planet? You're telling me that there's only the blessed and there's only the wicked. That's it. We, we tend to be in a pluralistic, relativistic world that says, you know, there's got to be multiple ways. There's got to be like all kinds of other ways. It can't just be this way or that way. That seems too closed-minded, you know, um, you know, it seems to be too harsh or, you know, maybe people are even thinking, like, this is why I don't like the Old Testament. This is why I don't want to go there because it's just too harsh, too black and white right off the get-go, right off the, you know, right from the start. But for the Bible and for God's people, for those of us who are believers, we know that this is not like a Old Testament concept. This is something that we see from beginning to the end of Scripture, that there are those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. There are those who are in the light or those who are in the darkness, or those who are in life or who are in death. And some might say, well, what about Jesus? Jesus was loving and Jesus was accepting. I mean, a lot of people would be like, that's the kind of Christian or that's the kind of Bible that I want. Someone who's like Jesus, right? 
But Jesus himself was really clear. Though he loved and accepted everybody into his midst, there's no question about that. He would take sinner, saint, everybody could come into his midst. Old, young, religious, non-religious, everybody was welcome. Jesus was also clear that, that there were two types of people in this world. Those who knew God and those who did not know God. He says this, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Man, Jesus says there are two ways here to go. There is this, there's this road, there is this, this journey, and the, the road that leads you know, to destruction is super wide. There's a lot of people there. But the road that leads to blessing, the road that leads to, to God himself is narrow. And there are two roads going in different directions. And, and the reason why this is such a hard truth for us to grasp a hold of and for us to take in is because we know people. They might be coworkers. They might be neighbors. They are like kind people, nice people. They're people that were like, man, I could spend a lot of time with these people. They are like fantastic people, but they don't know God or maybe even they don't want to have anything to do with God. They reject God. So here we're faced right from the beginning in Psalm 1 with this contrast, the wicked and the blessed. And listen, this is not meant to, to you know, give us the state of a religious person where we can now point and we can say, ah, they're, those people, they're in the wicked category. I'm over here in the righteous category. I'm in the good category. Those poor people in the wicked category. No, all of us are or were in the wicked category. The only reason that we can put ourselves in the category of blessed is because of the grace of God. It's nothing that we have done. It's no group that we've been a part of. We weren't the smartest. We didn't figure this out. It was God's grace alone. So the way of the blessed and the way of the wicked is pictured here. The image that we get is this image of a pathway or a journey in life. Okay, so if you've ever seen like the movie like Forrest Gump, you know, or something like this movie that kind of shows the the journey of one person's life, that's what we're like supposed to be thinking in our minds as we read this first psalm. And it's not a it's not an image that is foreign to the New Testament either. Ephesians 5 talks about this. It talks about walking in love. And then in verse 15 it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So this image of us walking in the way of the blessed, walking in the way of life, is an image that is supposed to just help us understand this is what it means to live life. Like as the years go by, it's like a journey. And we are constantly faced with, you know, are we going to go this way or are we going to go that way? And so... Our calling here in, in chapter 1, verse 1, is to enter into this blessing. And that word blessed actually means enter into this happiness. Your translation may actually say that. Enter into this happiness. And as we do that, as we enter into this discipline of entrance into happiness 
we will find um, two things that come as a result of that. There's, there's two things that are the result of entering into this discipline of the way of the blessed man, okay? And the first one is this, that we delight in God versus becoming a scoffer. Delight over scoffing. Look again at verse 1. It says, Whoever walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So we are first told what not to do. Okay, We're told don't do this. Don't walk in the way Walk in the counsel of the wicked, don't stand in the way of sinners, and don't sit in the seat of scoffers. And each of those words is kind of an intensification, okay? So to, to walk, and then to stand, and then to sit. The image there is ultimately that you're like, you're starting to get into like being with people who are of, you know, the, the wicked mindset. And then slowly you're getting to the point where you are actually, you're like sitting in their midst, And the author starts by saying, don't do that. Don't find yourself in that place where the influence of, you know, the the way that is not righteous, the way that is not blessed, that influence becomes so profound that you're actually sitting in the midst there. You are actually taking part in it. Rather than that, our calling is to meditate on the law. So rather than finding ourselves at the seat of scoffers, Our calling is to meditate on the law of God, which really is meant to be the word of God in its totality, okay? The word of God itself, or to take it in. So in contrast to sitting at the seat of scoffers, we are called to meditate on the law, to meditate on the word of God, to think about it, to get it into our minds, to get it into our hearts, and to really let it soak in. Richard Baxter, who is a theologian, Um, I don't know, like a couple hundred years ago, he wrote on this and he kind of put it in a three-step process just to help um, himself and also obviously the readers of his book to understand what this psalm is saying. He says this first, we are fixing the mind on a particular truth. Okay, so when we're meditating, like this says, when we're meditating on scripture, we are fixing our mind on a particular truth. And then secondly, we are speaking to our own heart about that truth. So we read a truth, and then we speak to our own hearts, and then the result then is a third thing. The result is a nearness to God. So we fix our mind on a particular truth, we speak to our own heart about that truth, and then the result is a nearness of God. So I don't know what that looks like for you. For me, it looks like I I get up, uh, you know, not super early, get up, let's say, 7 o'clock. I usually put on coffee first thing, let that coffee finish up. I'll grab the coffee, and then I'll pick up my Bible, and I'll just do some reading. And again, I'm following this similar pattern. I just want to see, God, what do you want to show me today? The other week, I was reading through the book of First Samuel and reading through the different stories, and I came across this story where Saul was being called to be king of the nation of Israel. And it said this in First Samuel 10.9, When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass that day. And that little phrase, God gave him another heart, just like blew up. It just like came like, I was like, that is what I want. I want a heart that is new, that is 
like dedicated to God, that is on fire for what God is doing around me. I want that for my family as well. I want them to like experience and know God. I want that for our church as well, Citizens Church. And in that moment, that was just like a little gift from God, from his word. That is what Baxter is talking about. Taking time to take in a particular truth, to think about it and feel and experience the nearness of God. But I got to tell you, I have had plenty of seasons and, and long seasons of life where I just have had no experience or knowledge of what I just explained to you. No nearness at all to God. It was either because I wasn't even reading the Bible, right? Going weeks at a time, not reading anything from Scripture, or just not experiencing the nearness of God because maybe it was a task that I was doing or maybe I was just doing it quickly or just wasn't focused. Whatever it was, it wasn't a reality for me. What Baxter is saying, what Richard Baxter is saying and what Psalm 1 is saying is take time to meditate on the law of God. Take time to experience nearness with God through the scripture. It will become like a, it's like a sponge that has soaked up water. And when you squeeze it, when the pressures come, what comes out actually is the word of God. Maybe ideas, maybe scripture that's actually been memorized. It's the word of God that actually comes out. So the first is to delight in God versus being a scoffer of God. And the second is this, is rootedness. Okay, I'm, I'm, I think that's a word. Rootedness. It's the experience of being rooted to a foundation that is deeper than yourself. Look at verse 3. This again is, is the experience of the, the person who is blessed, who's experiencing the happiness of God. Verse 3 says this, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does he prospers. Now that doesn't mean that he like prospers in life, like prosperity gospel, but it means no matter what is happening around him, he is still flourishing as this tree. Now the imagery here is, is not of a tree like in a lush forest. It's not like the Brazilian, you know, jungle or something. It's not even like a Canadian forest. What you need to have in your mind is this desert of Israel. And if you've ever been to Israel, you'll be able to picture it well scrub brush around or maybe no vegetation at all just like rocks and sand and gravel and yet in the midst of that maybe a small creek coming along or maybe a, a little river or water bubbling up at a little oasis and there beside that water is a tree that regularly has access to the nourishment of the water while the the rocks and the wind and the you know the the wasteland around it is there it still is nourishing it's firm its roots are going down deep and experiencing you know this solid foundation because of the fresh water that is around it and so this is the image that we are called to have that when we end up delighting in God, when we take in this nourishment of delighting in the law, we don't end up becoming like a scoffer. You know, we're not just 
influenced by everything around us. It's not like every podcast that we listen to, every TV show that we watch, you know, all the, the blogs or the tweets that we're reading, the images on Instagram, all those things end up becoming this desert wasteland around us. And what we discover is that what nourishes us and what keeps us firm and solid as, as all that pressure comes around us is actually God's word. It's, it's God himself. He is the nourishing factor. Walter Brueggemann says this, One of the reasons why this image of rootedness is needed is because the wicked continually persist in contesting life and its bases. So we are continually pressed with ideas and with arguments and, you know, the pressure of thinking like the world. And that pressure is like a pressure against these trees that are next to a river, that imagery. And we are called to remain rooted, not because we're so good at it. A tree doesn't sit there and like kind of walk around, you know, and find the best place to be rooted. It's there. The tree is rooted. It's planted. What's feeding it actually is the water itself. So delighting in God's word over scoffing and experiencing the solid foundation of rootedness because of God's goodness toward us. You know, just in conclusion here, everything in scripture finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And we've talked about this before, how in Luke chapter 24, after Jesus is resurrected, he ties the whole of scriptures together, especially for the disciples. He's explaining everything. In Luke 24:44, it says this, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, everything written about, that's Jesus, everything written about Jesus in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So everything in Scripture, the Psalms that we're reading, the Old Testament, everything is captured in the person of Jesus. And then it says that Jesus was with them for 40 days explaining all these things and all these things and making, you know, helping them understand all the totality of who he was and how it was captured throughout Scripture. And no doubt he would have told stories even again about his ministry. He would have said, hey, remember this experience? Remember me at the well? With the, with the woman who was there getting water and she was like experiencing this like life-changing moment. And remember you disciples, you really struggled with that. In John chapter 4, there's this experience of Jesus with the, with the woman at the well. And it says this in John chapter 3, sorry, John chapter 4 verse 13. And maybe Jesus would have explained this story to the disciples again to help them understand how the Psalms were actually fulfilled in Jesus. John 4.13 says this, this is what Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. That water that we see here that allows this tree to have this firm foundation, allows the life of the blessed man to actually exist, is actually Jesus himself. And so our calling today as we 
Just think briefly here about Psalm chapter 1 is to enter into the life of the, the man or the woman who is happy, who is blessed, who is resourced, who is who's tapped into the source of life, which is Jesus himself. So our happiness is found in a person and in the living water that keeps us firm and helps us stay f- firmly planted in the midst of every single circumstance of life. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the truth of who you are. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through the Psalms. And Lord, as we look at uh, the Psalms over the next 15 weeks here, God, I pray that we would experience a closeness with you that maybe we have never experienced before. Jesus, would you help us understand that you are in all these things. You are the source of our life. You are the thing that will help us stay firm. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.